0: Thank you so much. It's good to see you all today, and I welcome you wherever you may be worshiping, at whichever Grace Campus you may be a part. For the last couple of weekends, we've been talking about what some call two of the voices of God. We have seen that God definitely speaks to us through His Word, and that God's will and God's Word will never contradict each other. Last week, we looked at the fact that God speaks to us through prayer. When we seek Him, He, by the Holy Spirit, speaks to us and guides us through prayer. We looked a bit at how dangerous it is to actually make major decisions with long-term consequences without pausing and, and really making a concerted effort to ask God for guidance. But we also saw that there is often static on the line because of our own sin, because of our own limited human understanding and the fact that there is a very real spiritual battle going on. But today I, I want us to kind of finish this little trilogy of messages and, and by the way next weekend we're going to go right on with this. In fact next weekend honestly for me and this whole series it may, be, it may be the topic that I like the most. I'm going to talk about what you do when you've done all these things and your best laid plans still fail. Has it ever happened to you? Next week we're going to look at that. What do you do when it all just kind of blows up in your face? When all the things you thought God was guiding you into, it just doesn't work out like you thought. That happens. But what do we do when we find ourselves in those situations? Next week, we're going to dive straight into that. And I think, I think God's going to really use his word in a special way because I'm convinced that many of us have had that experience and some of us may be there right now. But for today, we want to talk about how God speaks to us through others. Now, the book of Proverbs particularly says a lot about this. In fact, in 31 chapters, 22 times... It talks about the value of godly counsel. I won't read them all, but let me just give you a sampling. Proverbs eleven fourteen, 14. For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory sure. Proverbs 12, verse 15. A wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, Plans fail for lack of counsel. But with many advisors, they succeed. I think you're getting a theme going here. That counsel or advice is important. Proverbs 19:20. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. Let me just mention a few more. Proverbs 20, verse 5. The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters but a man of understanding draws them out. In other words, someone who is there to counsel you, particularly guiding with helpful questions. Proverbs 20, 18, make plans by seeking advice. Proverbs 24, 6, for waging war you need guidance, and for victory, many advisors. And one more, one of my favorites, Proverbs 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron so one man or woman sharpens another now that's just a sampling but you can see even from this that this is a huge theme in Proverbs and it's also a major theme throughout the rest of the Bible but I want to ask the question why why does the Bible say so much about the value Of other people speaking into our lives can I answer that for you it's because we're all dumb all right we're dumb let's face it I don't care what your IQ is I don't care what you scored on some aptitude or intelligence test we're all dumb in other words We've all got these blind spots. And especially when it comes to our personal lives, we all have these areas where we can't see what's right in front of us. We need some people who honestly care and love us to speak in to our lives. Most parents, I think, would agree. In many ways, you know your kids better than they know themselves. Would you agree with that? There are certain things about... Their giftings, their aptitudes, their personality, their potential that you honestly see as a parent more clearly than your children do. That is just the truth. But you know, on a larger scale, that's true with all of us. We need wise people to speak into our lives, especially when it comes to guidance. I went to seminary with a young man my age. And he was a brilliant student. I'll not use his name just to protect his identity. But we knew each other very well. He was a very good friend. Spent a lot of time together, actually. And uh, not only was he a great student, but uh, he had tremendous athletic abilities. He was was a great athlete. He he starred in college in a certain sport and just a tremendous all-around guy. But there was one thing. He was planning to be a pastor and i knew that's never going to happen that's not because i'm a brain on a stick or something i think everybody knew who met this guy tremendous guy awesome character very caring person but pastoral gifts he did not have when it came to interpersonal relationships communication confidence he was just sorely lacking in some of these basic things that one needs to be a pastor and yet here he was spending thousands and thousands of dollars like we all were to get this higher theological education and I knew that he's probably never going to get a call from a church so what do you do in that situation oh how I wanted just to speak the truth and I tried in so many ways but what do you do when a person's not asking for input in a critical area and I thought surely someday he's going to ask is this a gifting you see in me but that day never came and sure enough he never became a pastor He never got a call. He's doing other wonderful things. He's serving, helping people as was his heart. But he never ever became a pastor and still to this day is not. You see, the best way to know you have a gift is that other people in the body of Christ recognize that gift and see value in it. I would have never thought I could be a pastor or preacher unless a bunch of people in the body of Christ kept coming up to me going, you know, God uses you when you do these things. God speaks through you. God, I see this in you. And I'd go, wow, really? And gradually the confidence began to grow that maybe, just maybe, I I could do some of these things. When the Holy Spirit spoke to the leadership in Acts chapter 13. And the Holy Spirit said, set aside Paul and Barnabas for the work I have for them. It's interesting, nobody in the body stood up and said, whoa, wait a minute, Spirit, you got to be kidding. (laughs) Those guys? Barnabas? Paul? I don't see that in them. They could never do this job. No. To a person, every one of them said, makes sense to me those are some of our best guys wow they really belong in what the Spirit is directing them to do they can do this by the power of God we need that insight from others now I don't know what you're going through today personally I don't know what big decisions you face but when it comes to major decisions with long-term consequences I want to tell you today, and if you don't get another thing I say, you'd better seek some godly counsel. Do not make those decisions like a lone ranger Christian, or you may may find yourself with some huge regrets on down the road. So I want to give you three principles today. I'm going to quickly touch the first two, and then I'm going to linger for a while on the third one. Okay, and then at the very end of the message, I want to sum it all up quickly. By asking that question, what should you do if someone comes to you and says they have a word of God for you? It happens. And what do you do if you believe you have something you ought to share with someone else? So here we go. I encourage you to find the notes in the back of your bulletin and jot down some ideas if that's helpful. The first principle in seeking sound advice is you're never too old to need sound advice. Never too old. Proverbs 19, 27 reads, stop listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. Now, I find it interesting. We tend to think, yeah, when you're young, you really need it. You'd better get some counsel because you're young and green, you don't have this life experience yet. But you know what? When you get older, you don't really need counsel. You can kind of cop this been there, done that attitude. There's nothing more I can learn. I've got all these years of experience now. And many people stop seeking counsel as they get older. And it is a tragedy. In fact, can I tell you? And oh, I wish we had time to explore some of these. We simply do not. But the Bible is filled with stories of men and women who in their early years were greatly used by God... Some of them you could even call spiritual giants, honestly. But as they got older, apparently, they got either cocky or careless. Cocky or careless. I don't know which. Maybe both. And they stopped seeking godly counsel. And in case after case, I tell you, people in the Bible, their life went off the rails at the end simply because of Failing to seek wise counsel. So I hope you get this first point. That's all I want to say about it. You're never, ever, ever too old to need wise counsel. God wants us always to learn from the input of others. A second thing to keep in mind about seeking sound advice is... The bigger the decision, the more counsel... I should get the bigger the decision what do I mean by that the more that's at stake a major decision with long-term consequences something that has profound implications for your life that's what I mean by the bigger the decision the more counsel I should get now here's the irony that I see I see a lot of people kind of flip this on its head, and do the opposite of what we really need to do. Here's what I mean. When it comes to minor decisions that honestly don't have a lot of impact, we get tons of counsel. Somebody wants to buy a rug. It's a 150, 200 bucks. It's a nice little rug. It's not super expensive, but it's not just dime cheap either. And you know what? They'll ask all their friends what they should do about it. Well, it's this color, and it's made of this, and I think I could put it right here in my house. What do you think I ought to do? What do you think I ought to do in the last 20 or 30 people? It's amazing how much input they get on a stinking rug. They'll research it. They'll read all kinds of blogs about rugs. It's unbelievable. Amazing counsel on buying a rug. But when it comes to a real decision, major with long-term consequences like should I marry this person go with me here I've heard this literally out of people's mouths they'll say things like no I don't really want to talk to my friends about this I you know it just feels right it just feels right and it just feels so good I just know God is in this and you know it just feels so good I it just can't be wrong what what are you thinking? So we flip this thing on its head. Please get the principle: the bigger the decision, the more counsel I should get. Debbie and I just returned from a missions trip in Poland, so I want to say to everyone, "Dobry," and "Dziękuję." Thank you for being here, but and good day to you all. But uh, we are a bit jet lagged right now, but very very happy. To be back in the United States. And as always, when we return to grace after some sort of ministry anywhere else, we're always grateful for Grace Fellowship. I want to tell you that, folks. God has built one amazing church here, and every time I work with other pastors in whatever context, I, I just realize and appreciate afresh and anew how blessed we really are. But we had a great time, and thank thank you, those of you who may have prayed. For us, we're so grateful. Uh, the primary ministry was with some church leaders at a retreat center in Sorkwiti in uh, sort of northern central Poland. It's an old middle age, middle um, town from the middle ages, dates back to the 1300s. And uh, we were at a Lutheran retreat center there. And it was just a blast. Uh, I taught and taught and preached and preached my heart out when you're working through a translator you have to be very precise with your words so you get to say about half as much as you want to say on a topic but i want you to know the three circles are really being used across poland folks people are understanding there's a lot of things they ought not to fight about and get all bent out of shape about and they're understanding that there are other things essentials that are worth dying for ...and giving their lives for. And so we were able to teach that and many other key teachings. But here's what shocked me. I I went expecting to do all that teaching. That's what I prepared for. That's what we were told about. But what I did not realize is that so many leaders would really want personal counsel. And I respect them for that. Churches that were dealing with whether to buy a facility or not... ...or keep on renting space... ...wanted counsel on that, and so we were able to give input and ask questions. Churches that were dealing with how to structure their church... ...polity-wise, what the leadership structure should look like... ...we were able to speak into that, and we did it through asking mostly a lot of questions. How to deal with moral failures with leaders in the church. How to deal with marital situations that were going on. And I came away thinking, you know, these leaders, these pastoral leaders in Poland... ...they're very wise... Because they're not afraid to ask for godly counsel and seek input. Do you do that in your life? Do you do that in your marriage? Do you do that when it comes to your parenting? Do you seek counsel when it comes to the major decisions that you're facing as far as your future goes? Again, I read Proverbs 24, verse 6. For waging war you need guidance, and for victory many advisors in my life I typically seek advice on just about every key decision it may be from as small as three or four people the more significant it is I may spread that out to seven or eight people I regularly seek counsel from our elder board I regularly seek counsel from other leaders in the church people that I respect and I know are open to be asking them certain things I seek counsel from other pastors who are friends of mine and regularly will phone them up or email them a question and seek godly counsel from them. You say, well, wait a minute. Can you ever get too much counsel? Good question. I suppose there's a limit to how much we can get. Too much advice may tend to seem confusing, especially if you're getting contradictory messages, right? Isaiah the prophet said ...to the people in Isaiah 47... ...all the counsel you have received... ...has only worn you out. And if you look at the context of that... remember context is critical. What that means is that... ...they were going to the astrologers for counsel. On the opposite extreme... ...they were going to prophets for counsel... ...and in between those two extremes... ...they were going to every... ...Tom, Dick, Harry and Mary... That they could ask for advice and would give them some input. And Isaiah is saying, look, it's only wearing you out. And maybe you've had that experience. It can get complex, right? Especially when people you respect are giving you very different perspectives on something. And you're left with having to weigh all of that. That can be exhausting. Like Isaiah said, it can absolutely wear you out. But that does not negate the principle. Mark this principle. The bigger the decision, generally speaking, the more counsel I should get. Now here's the third principle that I want to linger on for a while. And I really want you to highlight this one in your notes. Put some stars by it. Prick your finger. Bleed on it if you need to. Do anything you need to do to make sure that you highlight this principle. And I want to linger here a while. Choose your counselors carefully. If God honestly speaks through others, if that's what some people really call the third voice of God, you'd better be sure you choose your counselors. Those you get advice from. Whether formal or informal, very carefully. Hot tip, hot tip. It may not be your friend's. It may not be your friends that are your best counselors. Over and over again, I've had people say to me, Pastor Rex, it seems that everybody believes I ought to go this way. Everybody's telling me this is what I ought to do. And when I ask who everybody is, I find out it's a bunch of people that the Bible would actually call fools or seriously dysfunctional people. But that's everybody giving this advice. It may be just Foolish advice. Choose your counselors carefully. The classic illustration of this is the guy whose marriage is going in the toilet. And he's distraught about it and wondering what he ought to do. And so he goes to the bar to get a couple of drinks to drown his sorrow. And all the guys are sitting around, his buddies, and telling him, hey, we can help you, man. We know, we know all about marriage. One guy pipes him and says, yeah, I'm really the expert. I've been married eight times. <laughs> is that honestly the guy you want to get your advice from? You see, the problem with friends is, I'm not saying all your friends are fools, okay? <laughs> you you got you to you know, evaluate that. But what I'm saying is we tend to go to people that we believe are going to agree with us. People that we believe will sympathize with us. Not necessarily people that we know will be committed to tell us the truth. Proverbs 12 verse 5 reads, the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Proverbs 14 7, stay away from a foolish man. You will not find knowledge on his lips. But people go to poor sources for counsel because they're desperate. Millions of Americans (laughs) read their astrological chart. They go to these astrological readings every single day and make decisions based on those. Or they'll line up at some psychic's place to get their palm read or get advice from Olga or somebody, you know, the local psychic. Are your counselors wise people? David was the greatest king of the United Kingdom of Israel. But do you know why? Probably a number of reasons. He certainly had a heart after God in spite of all his flaws and sins. David had all the usual besetting sins and temptations that most people do. But one of the things that set David apart clearly was he sought godly counsel. Have you ever heard the name Ahithophel? You almost have to have a lisp to say that word properly. Ahithophel, you ever heard of him? Would you believe me if I told you his name appears 17 times in the Old Testament in 12 completely different situations? He's one of those unsung heroes of the Old Testament He's one of those behind the scenes people who had enormous influence and most people have never even heard of him. And yet, David went to him for counsel over and over, as did his son Absalom. In 2 Samuel 16, we read, now in those days, the advice Ahithophel gave was like that of one who inquires of God. That was how both David and Absalom regarded all of Ahithophel's advice you know why his advice was like one who inquired of God because he inquired of God David knew I'm not just going to a friend here although they probably were friends I'm not just going here to somebody that I know is going to be a yes man and tell me what I want to hear I'm going to a man of God I know this guy has been seeking God, and I know he's going to tell me a word from God. You and I desperately hear me. We desperately need people like that in our lives. Through the years, I don't know how I would have survived without people like that. From the time I was a young Christian, in my teenage years, literally, I've had women and men that I looked up to that I sought out for counsel. When Grace, I don't think I've ever actually shared what I'm about to share. I can't remember for sure, but I don't think I ever have. When Grace Fellowship first started, I'd never been a senior pastor before. Never started a church before. What I mean is, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I mean that truthfully. We were literally making it up as we went. Didn't have a clue. I didn't grow up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a farmer's home. I had no idea how to lead a church. But the president of Albany Medical Center at that time, he and his wife Alma, were members of Grace Fellowship, some of our earliest members. His name was Dr. David Cornell. And I would phone Dr. Cornell up And say, hey, I've got a bunch of questions I want to run by you just to get some input and pick your brain a little bit. And I was amazed that a man with the crushing responsibility that he had on him was so generous with his time. I mean, we had lunch after lunch, breakfast after breakfast where I would be running these ideas by him. Throwing out scenarios, picking his brain, getting input. He was a seasoned leader, significantly older than I was. And I thank God for how helpful he was during those days. It's always been my practice to seek advice. I seek it today from our elder board on a regular basis. I seek it from other pastors I know. I want to learn from other people's experience. And here's the good thing about being around wise people. You don't even have to ask them a bunch of questions. There's an old saying that wisdom is better caught than taught. And when you're just around them, you just kind of soak it up by osmosis. And I found myself asking, what would this person do in this situation? So no matter who you are, no matter how old or young you may be today or anywhere in between, I urge you to seek out some godly mentors like that. By the way, that ought to be happening in the church a lot. Paul gets very explicit in the book of Titus chapter 2 when he talks about how the older people in the church ought to be mentoring the younger people in the church. That just ought to be a given. But often you need to be the one seeking it out when you sense the need in you. Folks, when we stop listening to wise counsel, our life can go off the rails. And boy, I tell you, I could tell you story after story of people that I've known personally where that has been the case. David had a son called Solomon who replaced him on the throne. And Solomon started off very wisely. You know, he's the one who kind of God said, I'll give you whatever. And he prayed for the wisdom to be a godly leader. And God gave him that. And so when we ask... Who is the wisest person in the Bible? Most people say Solomon. But did you know that Solomon went off the rails at the end of his life? Oh, he had enormous wisdom. You remember the Queen of Sheba? Sheba made a journey all the way from probably modern day Ethiopia... And she made this journey because she'd heard about the legend in his own lifetime of Solomon and all of his wisdom and the great projects that he had done. And she said at the end of the visit, I had heard about your achievements and your wisdom, but not even half had been told me you have exceeded the report that I had heard. That guy, even Solomon, went off the rails at the end of his life and he died a fool am I the only one who finds that sobering that is staggering to me that someone with that much wisdom and insight could actually become a fool and guess what his son succeeded him his son's name was Rehoboam and when Rehoboam became king He first of all went to a group of older, wise leaders in the nation, and he asked them for advice of how he should lead, what his policy should be, what his basic demeanor, how he should conduct himself. And they said to him, look, Rehoboam, you're such a wise young man for asking. Listen, you need to be a humble servant to the people. Humbly serve the people, and they will serve you, and things will go well. But then, Rehoboam sought out some other advice. He went to some of his younger buddies. Now, this is not a lesson about old versus young. Wisdom doesn't always go directly with age. There's no fool like a what? Old fool, right, as the saying goes. And occasionally, you find amazing wisdom in younger people. So this has nothing to do with older versus younger here. But in this particular case, Rehoboam went to some younger buddies of his and says, Hey, I've gotten some advice, but I'm just wondering what do you guys think? How should I lead? How should I conduct myself as a king? And they said, Hey, buddy. Dude, you got the power now. Here's how you ought to lead. You ought to make sure that everybody knows who's in charge. Throw your weight around a little bit. Get their attention. Make the policies more strict. Make life difficult for people and keep them in your debt. And Rehoboam chose the wrong set of advice. And 1 Kings 12, 14 says, he followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I'll make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I will scourge you with scorpions. And predictably, because he listened to foolish advice, he lost ten-twelfths of his kingdom overnight. The nation split into north and south, and it stayed divided like that for 400 miserable years. Let me say it again. Let me trumpet it from the mountaintops. Choose your counselors carefully. Because a lot of advice is just fool's erring opinions. Life is too short, friend, to make all the mistakes yourself. By the way, that's one reason I love history so much. Shoot, life's too short for me to make all the mistakes. I don't want to be that dumb. I want to find out how other people have decided in the past on things. I want to learn all I can from their mistakes as well as their successes. And I believe that history gives us a front row seat to that. Choose your counselors carefully. And one final word on this. I believe the best mentors sometimes are people who don't even know they're your mentor. I've had a ton of those. People I admired, respected, I watched them closely, I listened to what they said, I watched how they conducted themselves, but I never walked up and said to them, you're my mentor. But they were. And a lot of them were old dead people. I just read their books and learned from them, and they were my mentors in life. Hebrews thirteen seven says, remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. But as I said, for the last few minutes here, I want to get incredibly practical and ask this question, because we've been talking about advice, right? We've been talking about godly counsel and how God speaks through others. That's an undeniable theme in Scripture, as we have seen. But what do you do when someone comes to you a brother a sister, sincere as they can be, and says, I have a word of God for you. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone in your small group, a fellow co-worker who's a believer. Maybe it's just someone who's known you a while, and, and they, they want to speak this into your life. What do you say? What do you do? You say, well, it kind of depends on how well I know them, right, and how much I trust them. And I'm sure that's going to impact the way you hear it. By the way, in my role as a pastor, I don't know if it surprises you or not, I get a lot of people with words of God for me. Again, I don't know if that's surprising or not surprising. It doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen every week. But at least, on average, several times a year, either through an email, a written letter, a personal conversation, someone will say to me, I believe God has given me a word for you. And I want to talk to you now about how I respond to those. And I would urge you to respond the same way if someone has a word of God for you. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. But also don't blindly follow it. See, Pastor, where do you get that? I get it straight out of the Bible. Okay? If someone's coming and whether they even mention the word prophetic or prophecy or not, doesn't matter. If they believe they have a word of God for you... That I believe that 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us how to treat that. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But what should you do? Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. When we first moved into the Latham facility, the facility that the Latham congregation worships in right now, A woman in the church, a member of the church, said she had a word of God for me. I still have the letter. She wrote it down. It was an extensive letter. And she was upset because we had moved into the Latham facility at the Colonnade Plaza. She thought it's ridiculous. We've come from a building that's one-fourth that size. We should never spend that much money on a building. Uh, Rex Keener, you're an egomaniac. And it's going to become clear now to everybody. That's, I've still got the letter. I didn't bring it out. I didn't want to read it to you and give all the incriminating things about how bad I really am. <laughs> but she said, and she said, this is a word that God has given me. She literally gave it as a prophetic word. She said, five years from now, Grace Fellowship will be no more. All the people will become disillusioned. They will leave the church There will be no one in this big old building that you have bought and built, and Grace Fellowship Church will cease to exist. So I marked down that date because I believe that you weigh everything carefully. And I literally marked down the date, and this was 2002, and five years, exactly five years from that date, when she said the church would be out of existence. Not only was the church not out of existence, it had actually grown to over twice its size. So I made a conclusion. Oh, no, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, now, you, now I want you to clap at this. I made a conclusion, that wasn't a word from the Lord. Am I brilliant or what? I'm br- I, sometimes, sometimes I amaze myself at how brilliant I really am. No, that wasn't hard, was it? I just, you know what? I don't think that was from God. I think she just had an issue and she was upset about something. But please understand that most of the words of God that I get from people are very positive in nature. They're not like that. But I, whatever they are, whether positive or negative, I weigh them carefully. And if they line up with everything we know in Scripture and they're general in nature, then I know they're true. But if scripture doesn't speak to that issue, like in that woman's case, and her word, I put it on the back burner and I weigh it, but I would never, ever, ever start building my life around it. That's the tragedy that I see so many times. People take a word and take it as a word from God, and they start building their life around it as though this person has that authority in their life. So... What should you do, final question, if you feel you have a word of God for someone else? Well, the first thing I would urge you to do is never say, God told me. Okay? I would just scrub that from your vocabulary. Never say, God told me. Why do you say that? Because it's arrogant. I hope we saw last week that no matter how godly a person is, all God's children got static on the line. Amen? All God's children got static on the line from our own sin, intentional or unintentional, from the fact that we have limited human understanding and that there's a spiritual warfare going on. Nobody hears God perfectly. Please understand that. So if you feel you have a word of God for someone, please don't say God told me. Say something like this. I sense that. You know, I'm feeling a nudge to share this with you. Have you ever considered that? Could it be possible that, you know, I just feel God's stirring up something in me, and I would ask you to consider this. That might be a better way to present it. And here's the final word for the day. You're not responsible for how they receive it. It's your responsibility to say it. It's their responsibility to weigh it. But God can honestly use us to be an encouraging voice and a helpful voice... ...to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you actually would use broken, marred vessels like us... ...to speak to others. A helpful word. Thank you that you write straight lines with crooked sticks. People like us. And please use us, Lord, more and more as we go forward... ...to be a voice of wisdom and counsel to one another. We desperately need it. All of us, young and old... Thank you for being committed to guide us, Lord, into an exciting future with you. We commit ourselves to that, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.